0: Next month, it is Christmas. And as uh, we want to do, as a new custom, uh, we want to do the the Christmas pub quiz. So we're going to do it again uh, this year, and we're going to invite all of the YouTube friends on. But we're going to do something a little bit different this year. Uh, We would like to have one round of questions coming from you, the listeners. So I'm going to put out a call for questions. I want people to send in audio recordings doesn't matter about the quality, it's fine. Whatever audio, just your smartphone is cool. An audio recording of a question uh, with the answer said afterwards. And importantly, leave a big delay in the recording between the question and the answer so I don't hear it inadvertently when uh, reviewing the question submissions. And then leave your name um, or moniker or internet moniker as well in the recording. Um, We're going to take three of those. If we get three of those, we're going to take three of those. Um, So there's kind of limited availability. So if you want to be featured on the show, send in a recording to the podcast email and that will be in the show notes for everyone to, to check out. That makes sense? It does. So we'll have one round dedicated to listener questions and the questions can be on anything. Like literally anything. They don't have to be festive questions. Last year, none of us had any festive questions. Um, they can be whatever you want. A non multiple choice. Sorry, that's important as well. Um, not multiple choice because I don't like multiple choice questions. Um, an, an
1: open-ended question. Yeah.
0: An open-ended question, exactly. Um. So yeah. Uh. Leave us your questions. It would be really cool if we can get a couple. So. Um. Yeah. Can't wait. <phone rings> Irish accent crimes corner. Um, in a stun- in a stunning turn up for the books. Um, this one is going to be celebrating a good Irish accent, <laughs> as opposed to rubbish Irish accents. This comes from you slash Vulcan Treki forty uh, five, and they sent us um, a review uh, of Assassin's Creed Rat of the Druids or Rat of Druids. And in this review, I'll, I'll leave the link to the video and the timestamp, uh, you can hear an Irish accent that I'm going to say is nigh on authentic. Um, it is really, really great. Not all of the accents in the game uh, are amazing. Some of them are a little bit into the hyper real land. But this one accent that, again, I'll link in timestamp, uh, was ace. So Irish Accent Crimes Corner gives out its first award for a decent Irish accent.
1: Um, Yeah, I've actually played that Hmm. And it is overall pretty good There are a couple of ropey ones um, But it's, yeah, overall not bad Um, Assassin's Creed, I've played a good bit of them recently And they always have a a slightly weird kind of relationship With how they portray Ireland Hmm. Um, There's some very bizarre notions about Ireland in, in some of them um, but th- this is this is actually quite good. It was good enough to the point that I, w- I was actually taken out of it because I remember like I was I was fighting some guys and you know I stabbed a soldier or whatever and it just sounded like I'd stabbed some guy. like It was just like I'd stabbed some guy in Dublin and it was a, it was oh. such a, it was such a kind of authentic accent that it sounded like something from real life rather than something from a game and I kind of oh that's that's weird. <laughs> do, do you know I should have looked into
0: this before the show? Uh, but do you know if there are they are actually Irish people, or just they've got some really good voice actors?
1: Uh, I haven't looked into it. I strongly suspect a lot of the background voices are actual actual Irish actors. Um, wow, cool! And some, I think, some of the characters are as well.
0: I strongly approve of that move. Yeah. Um, well done, Assassin's Creed. Um, related to this, you slash meep coyote, great username. Uh, (laughs) Made us aware of a thing called the coconut effect, which I didn't realize was a thing, but makes perfect sense. Uh, We complained the last or I complained the last show about how you could never really do proper Irish accents uh, because the audience at large is so trained to accept the hyper real action uh, accent that if you were mm. to give them an Irish accent, they'd be like, that's weird and doesn't make any sense. And this is known as the coconut effect. And it comes from uh, links in the show notes. It comes from um, the idea of simulating um, horses hooves, clopping on some sort of hard surface by clacking coconuts together. The, the problem there is that the audience became so trained to hear that noise that they would do it even if the horse was walking on like grass or sand mm. or whatever, so it's a similar sort of effect, but for uh, Irish, uh, but for accents. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. Learned a yeah. new thing.
1: I, another great example of that. I, I assume it's going to be mentioned on on that that page. Is um, you know the sound eagles make in films. Yeah. Yeah, that's not the sound of an eagle.
0: Wow, what does an eagle sound like? Do your best eagle impression, Bill.
1: I absolutely will not. <laughs> I'm actually and I'm not sure what what the the eagle sound is, but i as I as I recall it's something like kind of sounds goofy and the the sound that we hear in films is actually a hawk, some kind of hawk mm. wow and which we've come to expect that as the sound of an eagle, so that's what gets put in.
0: I was scrolling Reddit recently and mm-hmm. I came across this post of, I'm going to say it's an elk. I'll try and find this and link it in the show notes, but I don't hold out much hope of finding it. Um, But anyways, I think it was this elk and it was strolling by, by the road and someone was filming out their car. And then the elk decides to make a noise. And what came out of the elk was, I'm going to say spaceship-esque. Like
1: <laughs> awesome, it was
0: like a sci-fi sound that came out of them. So uh, I wonder, is it a thing where a good chunk of animals actually don't sound like we think they sound? Um, because mm. animals make weird noises, like, and even like you know, cats. When we say meow and all that crack, like you know, cats only do that for us. Like that's not cats don't go around meowing at each other. Mm. Um, so I think we might have a very skewed idea of what what sounds animals make. Um, but anyhow. Coconut effect, yeah? Yes. Thank you, you slash meep meep coyote. And then <laughs> the final quick little thing here is that, uh, in the, again in the last episode, we are talking about tone and we're talking about how tone uh, could influence music and how it gels with music. Um, you slash goo goo 0202. Um left a Reddit thread. I'm just going to summarize it briefly, but I'm going to link to it and I encourage people to go read it. I think it's it's really cool. Um, TLDR in Cantonese, at least. Um, the, the tones, you have to do stuff to the tones when you start singing. So there's like mergers that go on and then also the music needs to accommodate the tone as well. Um, that is a... Super brief TLDR, and I'm missing a lot of details and complexities there. So again, uh, just because I don't want to read out the whole post, it was a large post. Go check it out if you're interested. I think it's really fun. And thank you, u slash goo goo
1: Hmm. Good comment. Cool. Very, very uh, clarifying.
0: Very clarifying, indeed. Um. So, and then, uh, God, look, it's Edgar talking so much again. Here we go. Uh, Bank of Artifexia. I'd like to do Bank of Artifexia now, Bill, if that's okay with you. I will allow it. Perfect cuz we're going to do Obelisk Gate at the end and that's usually where Bank of Artifexia goes. So, we had two submissions. Um one uh, the first one comes from longtime listener Samuel the Barber and I think longtime contributor to the Bank of Artifexia. Yeah. This this person has given me a, a wealth in in money. Um and it's. I feel like it's a very one-sided affair. <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyhow, we have another uh, Samuel's shtick is that he writes extremely well. Uh, he has great penmanship and he writes extremely well-crafted notes. Um, there's a lot of this evident here despite being on a typewriter for the most part. Um, again, it's a big letter, so I'm going to summarize real quick here. Um, they. The big thing here is that they studied uh, applied linguistics at u c d they are american um mm-hmm. and they just received their masters in applied linguistics at u c d um so congratulations and it's just mad it's just it, it, someone mentions that like um so much of like you know, being associated with Ireland and coming to Ireland was was based upon, uh, in small part, us talking about Ireland. And I just think that's nuts that we've actually had effects on people's lives that way. Um, oh dear. I know. I
1: wouldn't trust I'm, you. A, <laughs> I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with that. <laughs> it's
0: just, yeah, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Um. So, anyway, so Samuel says, Congratulations, Samuel. That is dope. Congratulations on your Masters. Yeah. Um, well done. Congrats. Fair, that is absolutely dope. Fair play. And UCD is a great place. I've heard nothing. But good things about UCD. Um, now, Samuel uh, submits two Antarctican dollars. Now, this is obviously not real legal tender. Um, but still, it's pretty dope. And I get to fill in the continent of Antarctica on the map, which is kind of cool. Links, <laughs> links in the show notes to everything here. Uh, on the obverse of the uh, two Ooh. Antarctican dollar, we have a chap called Charles Wilkes, uh, who was knocking around from 17... Ninety-eight to eighteen seventy-seven, and the thing about him, I was looking at his Wikipedia page. Uh, the thing about him, he seems to have a bit of a, a an illustrious—no, well, not illustrious. I need a word like illustrious, but with negative negativity baked into it. Infamous? Infamous, maybe. Infamous career. Um, yeah, he—he's had two court-martials. One stemming from the massacre of almost eighty Fijians in Malolo in eighteen forty. Uh, and he also removed, was he removed two Confederate diplomats from a Royal Mail ship back in the day, which almost led to a war between the US and the UK. So uh, he seems like a, a cantankerous git. Um, so that's the two. Oh, Wait, uh, go on, go r-
1: Removed remove who from
0: from a ship? Uh, two Confederate diplomats. Huh. No. Plywood's...
1: Okay, so it was happened during the during the Civil War. Oh, okay, yeah, during so he was already at war with with the Confederacy, but not okay, gotcha.
0: Oh, so that's interesting. So that means the the U.S. was in the midst of a Civil War, and then oh, I see. And then in removing the two Confederate diplomats from this Royal Mail ship, that was that would have may have triggered the U.K. to get involved. Um, I think. Yeah, that looks right. Yeah, because it was a royal ship, yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. So, yeah, uh, a tanker's kit. (laughs) And then on the the reverse, we have a thing called Bertha's Tower, which is, I'm assuming, an outcropping of rock uh, in Antarctica somewhere. I couldn't actually find any details on Bertha's Tower. I tried Googling it, and I got very, very little. But, hey, two Antarctic dollars. Awesome. Um, And then the other note is a hundred Malagasy... I can't pronounce this. 100 Malagasy Ariari? 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 Maybe, perhaps. I don't know.
1: Um, Let's check.
0: And this is uh, worth $0. 0. 0.025 US dollars. And this is a cute little note bill. It's so small. It's like, it's just bigger than a credit card. It's nuts. He's really nice. Um on the obverse we have uh, a cathedral with a view of a town. I'm not going to pronounce his names. These names are massive. I uh, got some butterflies, got a map of Madagascar and some birds in flight. And on the reverse we have a Madagascar uh, can or Madagascar poison frog, a Mantella baroni apparently. And he looks oh, dope. What a cute little dude. What a cute. He's got really big eyes. He's got like Pokemon yeah. eyes. Nice. Um and then we also have various sort of things and we have called ca- a comet moth I really enjoy the pastel vibes of this note I think that's mm. awesome and that is a new addition we did not have Madagascar Bill we did not have Madagascar so i it looks like a,
1: it could be a sweet especially on the, on the frog side the colours
0: yeah yeah for sure for sure and
1: it's actually it's kind of the trans flag colours as well
0: a little bit is the trans flag not like more purpley no yeah, I
1: think it's more pink is it more pink
0: yeah, uh, so. colors are weird, man. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, it's really nice. I, I would class that as like a teal and orange sort of look, which is it is
1: it is, it is kind of more orange. You're right. It is more orange than, than the one on the flag.
0: It's very, it's very, you know, cinema of five to ten years ago in its color cast. <laughs> um, but and it's, so the fun thing about this one uh, is that again, I was looking into it a little bit. Apparently, the Malagasy uh, currency. Is one of only two non-decimal currencies currently in circulation. The other one huh. being from Mauritania, uh, the Mauritanian Ouguiya. I'm going to say, um, and it looks like this is it's base five. I think. Um, it is notionally subdivided into five whatever, and is one of the only just one of only two non-decimal currencies in, currently in circulation. So that's pretty dope. Eight. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, I I told, we're all working on base ten here. Um, so that's really dope. And then finally, for for Samwell's uh bit is uh he asks or they ask some questions. Um, there I'll go through these real quick because they're 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 easily answerable. Edgar, the musical Easter eggs in the transitions to the podcast. I mentioned ages ago that I baked musical Easter eggs into those transitions. Uh, Simon would like to know what those Easter eggs are. Um, I would like to oblige, but I've actually forgotten. Um, So I don't, (laughs) I actually don't know what I did. I suspect what I did was I used the notes A and E an awful lot. Like Artifexian, Edgar, possibly B in there for Bill. Um I suspect it was something of that flavour. Um so we can verify for that for me if you want. Um can we get a hint on new merch? I really do need to update the merch store, it's been ages. I might bring back the Betamax Max Crinkled Dash shirt, uh, because that was dope and I actually kinda want to own one. Um the uh is there any chance we can get audio releases to Bill's early releases? Um so what we do usually is when Bill writes a thing, we put it on the subreddit like a day or so before we release the video. Um, could we release audio at that point? No, just because of the way our production cycle works. That wouldn't work out. Correct, Bill?
1: Yes, I can't really see how that would work. Yeah, because um,
0: Bill Bill records the audio like live during this production. Um, yeah. So we'd have to uh, we'd have to move things around, and that's yeah, I'm not sure I, um... and if,
1: if I was to do it differently, it would change the the, the flow of production, so yeah. there would be a, there would be a difference in in audio, not like quality necessarily as in whether it would be good or not, but just the audio would be different it would have yeah. a different shape.
0: So. exactly exactly yes. But
1: well we I mean it's it's a nice idea we'll 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 maybe have a think about how we could do it but i I don't see an easy solution right now
0: uh but also i I really enjoy when you read it at me live because it gives me a chance to kind of um like hear it for a second time do you know because I read it a little bit I skim it like very very mm-hmm. quickly at the start of recording and then to to have you narrate it at me that often brings questions to me so i I, I like our workflow as is you know. Uh, And then the last thing here is, Edgar, uh, as things open up a bit more, um, how is the plan for a triathlon going? Um, I am sad to say I can no longer class myself a runner. I do not run anymore by virtue of life having given me more responsibilities than I entirely would like to have. Um, So that is a dream that has been put on hold. No more more running for Edgar, unfortunately. Um, So, yeah, uh, it's a bit sad, but hopefully one day uh, I'll
1: get back to it. Um, mm-hmm.
0: And that was uh, that was Samuel's uh, Samuel's submission. Thank you so. Okay, but, oh, go on, go on.
1: Before we go on, okay. So I'm not really clear on what the Antarctic dollar actually is, though.
0: I suspect. So I'm not clear either, because again, I tried. Like, to... is, is it
1: just is it just a way to, to uh, commemorate attempted genociders, or? <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> I mean, uh, maybe inadvertently. I suspect, based on no information at all. I suspect, I, suspect, good, good, okay. I suspect this is like, you know the thing where you can buy a star um, or you can like become a lord by owning like, you know, a tiny parcel of land in Scotland that's like one centimetre by one centimetre, you know that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. I suspect it's like that. Um, It's one of those things where someone just was like, wouldn't it be fun to own Antarctic currency? Let us just print a little bit and people can buy it as like little tokens or whatever. Um, You know, you can give to your Antarctica file friend for their right. birthdays. I, I something novelty like that because it's gotcha. it's not like it's not in any way legal tender. Because like I'm looking at it and it's got none of the like uh, holograms, none of the security marks, nothing. It's just it's just a bit of like it's a bit of polymer with nice pictures on it, um, mm. and that's that's fine. That's totally cool. I mean, I wouldn't expect Antarctica to have legal tender. Like, um, mm.
1: it doesn't have much need for. Functioning market economies.
0: No, no. Apparently, do you know what? Apparently there's two ATMs on on, on Antarctica. Really? Yeah, two of them. That's mad. Mm. That is one more that is in my town. (laughs) 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 So that is... Thank you so much, Samuel. And again, congratulations on your Masters. That is... Absolutely awesome. Um, now, our final submission from the Bank of Artifacts. Oh, I never did the ASMR with Samuel's thing, so I'm going to do it with, with Snizzle wrote in. So this is ASMR, Snizzle ASMR. Beautiful. Okay, so um, Snizzle, Snizzle submitted some Israeli shekels. Now, we've already got Israeli shekels in the Bank of Artifacts, so I'm actually going to skip... All of that, the reviewing of the Israeli shekels. Um, and I'm going to focus on um, a question that Schnizel asks. Um, uh, they write, lastly, as a man of faith, I am wondering um, if you had any thoughts on world building religions. Um, I think that's a really interesting question. Bill, mm-hmm. have you got any thoughts? Um,
1: yeah, it's something I've, I've played around with a bit. Um, and coming from it probably from the opposite perspective because I'm not religious um but I, I like the idea of t- like I think it's interesting to me as, as someone who's non religious to to treat them as like factually true in, in, in a in a world building context and and explore the the ramifications of what that would be um hmm. Which is something that has uh, uh it hasn't really come up on anything I've presented on the on the podcast much, but um, just that that kind of idea that it is real, and then how different cultures practice their religion is different interpretations of a of the same truth, just you know changed by their culture or their by their understandings of it. So it's like there is a uh, there is a truth. And then it's the reason that religions are different is because they are understood differently or they're misinterpreted or distorted by different people. Um, I think that's quite a fertile, quite a fertile place to start.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, my experience with religious world building, it's like culture building isn't really my forte. Uh, I'm much more into my fiction. Um but I often find myself stumbling into it when conlanging. So to give an example, I um on the I do this Patreon Patreon only live stream for the main channel. And um, I'm I'm working on a conlang on that stream. And uh I was going through person marking paradigms. So like, you know, I, you, he, she, that's our crack. Um and I wanted to bake in a lot of formality and, and stuff with this stuff in, in the system. And then the, the question of like, well, how could you show deference to dead people came up? And then that got me thinking about like, you know, afterlife sort of stuff. Did a bit of research on that. And then what what ended up happening was I ended up stealing a bunch of stuff from cultures around the world. And I ended mm-hmm. up with a system where the a dead person loses their name in order to sever their links to the mortal world such that they can enter heaven or whatever heaven is in this culture um, quickly and efficiently. So the more you tie them to earth by naming them, the uh, the longer they're kind of waiting like a purgatory type jazz. Um, so they get like a, a dummy name, like a nickname. Um, like instead of, like if you, uh, Bill, were to, to die tomorrow, I wouldn't call you Bill. I'd be like the one who laughed or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and that would mean that I wouldn't be tying you.
1: Bill Hyena. Bill,
0: <laughs> Bill Hyena McGrath. Uh, and that's the thing that I think some Pacific Island uh, cultures do. Um, like it's not a novel thing on my end. Um, and then I got thinking about like um, the whole thing about like uh, how, you know, dying and being born are kind of very similar sort of vibes. They're like the mirror image of one of, one of each other. And so I was like, oh, well, what happens if we make it so that um, young people who are born, they don't get names uh, to, in this case, to, not to stop them going, entering heaven, but to stop gods messing with them. So, like, bad gods, giving them diseases and illnesses, don't give them a name. So we don't identify them, so the gods can't, they're, like, obscured to the gods. Um, and then from that, a whole, like, cornucopia stuff opened up about, like, how... A child gets a name and when they get a name and when can it be done such to dodge the gods. And then there's this kind of weird mythos around, like, you know, child killing gods and these gods that won't let you to heaven because you have a name. And this whole thing came up. And without me wanting to build a religion or a mythos at all, like, mm. it just kind of happened. um, And that happens a lot to me where I'm like, oh, I'd like to justify this thing in a language. And then I go, Okay. Time to start working on a religion, uh, but I never purposely sit down to be like, "I'm going to make a religion." It just it just kind of falls out of stuff.
1: Yeah, if that makes that's, sense. Yeah, I mean, and and that's possibly a, a good organic way to do it because it isn't a monolithic thing that exists unrelated to other aspects of culture. Exactly, it's tied in with other aspects of culture, and they they reinforce each other, um, in you know in both directions. Um, and actually, another point that just just occurred to me there is. I think the conception we have of um religion being a single thing that you are is is quite a specifically contemporary or you know at least you know, reasonably modern Western conception and um, that it is you know super part of your identity that you are either Christian or you are something else or you are some third thing mm. that they, and that they are totally separate um that's quite a, I think a, a, you know, Western modernist conception of things, whereas I think in other parts of the world and in other parts of history, um, the definitions could be a bit more fluid.
0: Do you have examples?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, as I understand it, it is not uncommon for for people in Japan to. Uh, have both kind of Christian practices and Shinto practices for an an individual person. And there isn't, it is not necessarily perceived that there is a conflict there. I'm sure some will see that there's a conflict. Some will be more like, no, I, I, I can only do this one thing, but it's, you know, it's not necessarily the case. Um,
0: yeah, that, that, sorry, that makes sense. Yeah, I was aware of the, the Shinto, the Shintoism um, in Japan. Yeah, and I guess, I guess maybe, I'm struggling to think of examples, but part of me thinks that it might be a similar thing, kind of, here, where, like, old pagan rituals kind of, sort of, get, like, merged in with the Christian yeah. thing, so you're kind of doing both at once, even though nominally now, in modern times, it's all under the umbrella of being, like, a Catholic here. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, for sure. You can have multiple things like, you know, um, well, anyway, world building religion. I-, I hope that was interesting, Schnizzle. Um, Schnizzle. Schnizzle. I don't know how to put it. S-N-I-S-S-L-E. Schnizzle. Uh, uh, no, S-N-I-S-S-E-L. Sorry, I'm dyslexic. Um, yeah, so. Snizzley. <laughs> or maybe it's French and it's just like SNIS and we just don't <laughs>
1: just don't care about
0: the rest of those letters. Um no, if
1: it was French there'd have to be an E at the start.
0: There yeah, and there has to be an X somewhere in there as well. Hmm. Um it's mental. Anyway, war building religions uh, I hope you enjoy that snizzle and thank you for the Israeli really shekels. I hope you understand that I'm, I, I'm not going to go over it because we already have it in the Bank of Artiflexia. And really, the Bank of Arifexia is just a big excuse to receive snail mail and to talk about questions in the snail mail. So <clears throat> uh, thank you so much for that. Um, and then final, final things in follow up. And then I promise folks we can listen to Bill and his dulta tones. Um, Red Mars. So we reviewed Red Mars last month. One thing I just want to bring up, because I forgot to do it during the review, um, the time slip, right? Um, this is the whole idea The Mars' day is about 40 minutes, I think it's 40 minutes, longer than an Earth day. And the question would be that if we were to go colonize Mars, how would we deal with that difference in time? Uh, will we just spread the difference over the course of a day, so make hours just a little bit longer, or will we keep the regular hours that we have, and then just... Shove on like uh, the remaining time at the end of the day, uh, and it'll just sit there like a timeless period, and then the clock start again after the timeless period to make up the difference. The Red Mars goes with the latter. Um, what do you think of that bill? Because I think that's a bit silly. I don't think anyone would actually do that. I think it's good. Do you think it's good? Yeah. Uh, I think what we do is we just we just go. There's twenty four hours in the day, and then just make the hour like whatever one zero two
1: nope nope why not nope because because then we'd have to reconsider a load of scientific um definitions of things if you if you're redefining the base unit of time of what a second is then you know something falling at like meters per second is going to be totally totally different so and and the, the, remember, these are all engineers and scientists that that create this culture. Um, so they just yeah. they, they keep all that stuff the same, and then there's just like oh, you know, there's this this bit where there's a where there's a blank, um, and I think it's kind of reasonably well justified in the narrative as well that it's it's treated as this kind of like outside of time, time. It's 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 kind of you know it's the the rules are a little bit relaxed. It's like a, a kind of a witching hour.
0: Yeah, for sure. The uh, narratively I'm with you 100%. Um I'm not sure they'd be redefining the the basic units there. You just simply call them like a Martian hour, but you just for the sake of ease still have 24 of them and you just wouldn't care that it's in fact a little bit longer. Like they would still we would still have all the constants be based on
1: Earth time. Yeah, but then why would you be using something like, you'd always have to constantly remember if, if you were trying to convert into scientific units, you'd have to, like, take the the units you were used to dealing with and then, like, have an extra step of dividing them by, by whatever to turn them into scientific units.
0: I mean, that's fair, but, like, that that kind of thing happens all the time. Um, yeah, you know, but you... I'm,
1: I'm saying if they were creating it, they wouldn't want to put in that extra step.
0: Yeah. It's, it's
1: turning it a bit, like, imperial kind of measurement there, just, like, putting in this kind of extra hassle I, I was
0: literally. actually go, I was actually going to bring up imperial units as a sort of demonstration I was going to bring up the mile and the nautical mile and all that sort of crack yeah um, yeah I guess I guess it's probably just because it's really alien to have a timeless period uh, where I'm like that's clearly nonsense I guess that's where my aversion to it is coming from
1: um, yeah I, I think it's kind of an elegant solution
0: but the main thing is like what you said circle back um, narratively works out really well Um. Like there was loads of, loads of times in the book where someone, they'd be having a rough day or whatever, and they just like, they'd slip into the timeless period and they just feel a weight like lifted off them. Cause they're like, oh, okay, so this, the day is done. I can relax for this like 40 minute period. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing ever happens in this 40 minute period. And it kind of, it became like a moment of reflection very often, if I recall correctly in the book. So narratively, it definitely, definitely works.
1: But so I meant narratively from a world building point of view as well. Like I oh, could see, I could see the how that would that would arise.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you, you've kind of convinced me. To be honest, with you, the minute you brought up imperialism, I was like, okay, I'm out. <laughs> 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 do you hear? you hear the U? Just on a brief tangent, did you hear the UK or are I think I was going back to imperial units or something?
1: There's there's a suggestion to do that um, in the typical kind of. Distract from our massive incompetence and corruption by um, appealing to jingoistic patriotism. It's completely unworkable because all all of like the the things, the customs and standards and stuff, are set in um, metric at the moment, mm. and it takes a long time to train people. So they're gonna have to retrain everyone on the job and totally change the the syllabus for training new people and there's, there's, it's a massive infrastructural problem it's not just mm-hmm. saying we're going to we're going to do this thing differently it's it's a massive massive infrastructural problem
0: oh for sure yeah um, I mean I immediately thought about the, the poor bloke was to go around and change every single sign in the UK uh, on the side of the road like even that in, in and of itself is a yeah. massive logistical it sucks move.
1: that there is just one guy whose job that is doesn't it <sighs>
0: Bob's some man like Bob Bob just doesn't give up like <laughs> Bob lives for that sort of stuff um, because I mean like it was a big I think it was a big enough a deal when we switched over to metric units Um I think that caused an awful lot of hassle just just mm. like the, the physical act of just changing all the signage never mind all of the um, more abstract stuff um, so when I heard that I was like I can't believe a country like as speak and with as many signs as the uk are gonna are gonna think to do that like that's nuts like um, and
1: also like while i'm sure it was a massive hassle we had the benefit of it being the international norm and being a member of the european (laughs) union and them having an infrastructure to kind of absorb that and and assist with that as opposed to being one country Mm. that no one is going to help with this problem um, (laughs) trying to do it by themselves and like have all the thing of having to still deal with everyone else using the, the empire or using the metric. And yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a, it's a nonsense. It's an absolute nonsense. It's weird. It's weird. I I find, sorry, I don't think it'll happen.
0: No, nor do I hope not anyways, because that, that just seems insane. Um, the, what was I going to say? Um, Oh crap, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, the uh, the thing I, I, I still find really strange is that like there's still this sort of double thing that goes on in this country where like we use the metric system um for like just about everything like barring weight and some other stuff. Like everyone here gives their weight in pounds and stones and not kilograms. And I'm like one of the weird people who like kind of refuses to do that. So I'm always like I weigh... 57 kilograms and then people look at me like well what's that in real measurements so I'm like no, no 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 these are the real measurements it's really strange that there's, like there's just this holdover um, because everyone talks in kilometers and kilometers per hour but no one talks in kilograms it's weird
1: I I think of of distance more readily in miles than in kilometers oh. And I think of height. I don't think of height in in, in metric terms. I think of height in in feet.
0: High, height is another one. I I, I yeah. do think of height. Again, I force myself to do this because it's like this makes no sense that like we 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 switched to met, metric system like years and years and years ago, but we still do this in, in imperial. Like you know, um. So I I I train myself to think in metric for both uh, weight and height. Uh, I'm one seventy five centimeters. I am. Uh, 50, 56, 57, 58 kilos. Uh, depending on whether or not I've eaten. Um, <laughs> but and but thinking in miles, that's that's weird, man. That is very weird.
1: See, because I know where. Um, I know like roughly a mile from my house is, but I because I, I remember I I drove went for a drive with my dad one day and we were going to see how how far do we have to go before it's a mile, and that's when it was still miles, and I just mm. I've never done that with kilometers. So-
0: I guess I guess because of my running past,
1: yeah, you know, yeah, that makes more sense. When you
0: do a lot of five Ks, you begin to think in terms of five Ks. Um, yeah, and also with my house, so this just turned into a really boring direction. I'll stop in a second. Where I currently live, it's really fun. Uh, the exact kilometer mark is uh, from my front door is delineated by a set of uh, speed signs. So like literally a thousand meters from my front door, there are two signs that say 60 kilometers per hour. And so it's a very easy sort of visual aid that you're like, oh, it's from here to the signs, exact kilometer. Mm. Um, anyhow, sorry, that was just, that even be cut. That was so dull. Um, So uh, Red Mars time slip. Uh, the other thing uh, that u slash rick9 brought up in the subreddit was that they... Um, they found the biggest issue uh, for them um, with with Red Mars was the age serum and Mm -hmm. how they felt it would use as kind of like a hand wavy sort of thing so that uh, the author didn't have to invent new characters because the, the whole thing is about terraforming Mars and terraforming is a process that takes hundreds, maybe thousands of years and because of that, all these characters would die off all the time and we'd have to have new ones come in the whole time uh, to take us through the story, and they found that the AIDS H- serum. One of the problems they had with the age H- serum is that it was this sort of hand wavy sort of thing. Um, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on that, Bill. What What do you think? Did you Did you find the age H- serum to be a bit of a gimmick or a bit of a hand wave? What do you think?
1: No, never, never struck me that way. Um, and I think it it does it it provides. A lot of the pressure for for how things develop on Earth within the story.
0: Yeah, that that is the exact thing I was going to say because it it, it I was thinking uh, when Rick Nine wrote this comment, I was thinking about the Sanderson's law about like magic shouldn't be used to uh, solve problems, should be used to create problems. Um, mm-hmm. Now there's an argument here that uh, Robinson is solving a problem. The idea of, char- of characters, our lives don't span one terraforming. We do not live for one terraforming event. So you, you can argue that that's uh, solving that problem. But it, like you say, it, it's also creating a huge sort of class divide and creating conflict and interesting narrative going on between like Earth and Mars and like Earth are the have-nots because they don't have this age serum and Mars are the haves because they do. And that's that's interesting because like Earth is like, it has all the infrastructure that like, you know, or it has, but Mars is quite barren at least now. So it's kind of places the sort of uh, the valuable thing is on the barren, undeveloped place, as opposed to like the hyperdeveloped place. And it just it sets up an interesting sort of conflict. Um, so that, so for me, that's why when I was reading it, I didn't it didn't stick didn't stick out to me at all. And I pointed out to Rick Nine in the in the Reddit and I think it's a, a, dare I say, a fairly decent comment. Um, If Robinson had to continuously come up with new characters, he'd run the risk of kind of character bloat, like kind of happens in Game of Thrones, where it's just really hard to keep track of all the named characters. And you're like, okay, so who is this person? And they're related to this person, how and what happened, and who's dead and who's not dead. That can be quite hard to follow. And again, if we're going to span one terraforming event you'd imagine it's going to be, you know, several generations. So like a ton mm-hmm. of, they have to come up with a ton of characters. Now Rick and I did say that that kind of happened anyways in the later books. I didn't read them. It, so, it so very know.
1: much does, yeah.
0: But I'd imagine that problem will be compounded even further if mm-hmm. we have no age serum here and it would be a problem that I think might alienate a reader Um, because there's a whole host of people who just, they do not read fantasy novels at all because they just can't Get into all of these named characters; they just find it way too much, um, and I think Red Mars would fall in that category of being way too much for a non-like sci-fi nerd. Um, but that being said, I take Rick Nines' point; it it's definitely magic that solves a problem there. Um, but I think there's benefits to it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. And with that, I am done talking. No more <laughs> Edgar. It's finito. <laughs> <laughs> right, shall we go into main topic and we'll we'll hear some whirrbling? Let's. So, uh, Bill is going to do some whirrbling here. Uh, he's been watching Paul Dark.
1: I have I actually haven't
0: <laughs> It's very it's very Polar Darkian man. There
1: there is something Poldarkian Darkian about it alright, I, I accept that. It's
0: something it's it's like it's a str- someone stole the script of the like the, season six of Poldark right here. <laughs> well, anyhow anyhow I will I will uh, let you begin
1: Jens here. Please deliver to your client my extreme dissatisfaction with the outcome of our recent business. The mine in Outer Anches has proven to be a nightmare and a parasite to our coffers. I was assured a worthy investment and guaranteed healthy returns. On this front, the mine has not delivered and his words have been untrue. It is now a full year since we took ownership of this folly not only has it failed to generate a single coin in profit, we have in fact spent nearly a quarter of our initial investment again to simply keep the cursed pit functioning. Is this manner how you treat all those with whom you deal? Let me enumerate the difficulties we have had with this business, and you may judge for yourself whether your client has been entirely scrupulous. Firstly, We were told that the mine had recently been outfitted with the latest equipment. It was specifically assured that a new pump had been installed alongside heavy-duty drills and hammers. These, indeed, had been installed the previous season. However, they were leased from a Tamari supplier, not purchased. This I learned only in a letter from the mine captain. When we began operation after the purchase, we learned that the equipment had been repossessed by the supplier and thus we were working at far below the output we had come to expect, based upon your client's figures, and we have spent significant capital in replacing the machinery. Secondly, the rates offered for purchase of the ore by local smelters were not those suggested to us by your client. It has become apparent that the local mine owners are members of a collective, membership of which is required to avail of the favourable rates for the purchase of ore. As an independent business, operating from Lansk and unable to partake in such fraternity, we were unable to sell our already reduced product at these prices, thus a further reduction to our meagre margins. The company smelters either will simply not accept outside business or will charge such fees for the transport of ore as to make it impractical for us, given our remote location. Thirdly, I was of the belief that, as is custom elsewhere in the Anches, the human labour of this mine would be acquired as an asset. I expressed this belief on several occasions in communication and in speech with your client, and at no point did he disabuse me of the notion. Given the disastrous performance of the operation so far, we had hoped to recoup our losses by relocating the workers to other labour. I have since learned that the miners are prevented from seeking other employment while our mine is operational, However, should we cease activity, they are in effect free to seek employment elsewhere. Again, being a small independent business at some remove from the site, we lack the ability to enforce this issue, particularly in a province so deeply contested between the companies. I have no conclusion other than your client knowingly misled us about the acquisition of the human capital at the mine. Finally, I would note that the mine captain himself was unaware of not only the specifics, but the actual fact of his mine's sale, and it was only with difficulty and persistence that he was able to contact us at all. This suggests to us that your client has a general habit of dishonesty and fraudulent dealings. We have no great expectation of satisfaction in this matter. All the evidence suggests that your client is a scoundrel and a mountebank. An honest resolution of this difficulty is not possible. We will be making this affair known to all those we deal with. Having acted with honesty, we feel no loss of honour or standing in the deceit we suffered. All such lands squarely at the feet of your client. Signed, Naham Tevalbe, Director, Lansk Combined Enterprises. Cool. Uh, again, very, very Poldarkian. Um, yes. Super Poldarkian. It, 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 it occurred to me as I was writing it, and it, it, uh, as I was writing it, I, I was kind of drawing on things from what I remember to, to flesh it out. Um, do you want to give us the summary? Um. So Naham, the the author of this of this letter, is um the director of a small uh business in Lansk. Um, it's actually formed kind of from some, um, aristocrats combining their, their business interests. So it's not a company on the scale of the Tamar company. Um, it's much, much smaller. Um, and so he's the director of this and he bought a mine abroad in the outer Anches um, and was sort of swindled in the purchase of this mine. Sort of. (laughs) And this is his letter of complaint.
0: And and so um, he is writing this letter to not to the person who swindled them, but to their employer. What's that dynamic about?
1: Uh, more more like to no, not to their employer. It's more like to, to to his lawyer.
0: To his lawyer. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that would make sense. That would make sense. Yeah. And then his what, business agent. And, and what is the. Why did this swindling occur? Was your man just like, that's what his shtick is? Like he he scams people out of a bunch of money or is there some greater thing here? Uh, That remains to be seen. Hmm. As in, I need to pick that out of the narrative or there will be further writing?
1: Uh, As in, Bill needs to decide. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. I I merely present a a snapshot, (laughs) uh, a, a document... From from the world, and I don't always know everything that's happening in connection to it.
0: That's fair. That's fair. Um, and uh, so Yen Seer.
1: Yen um, Yensir is the business agent. Is yeah. the
0: business agent Yensir and Naham? How, we have not met those before. New names. No, these, these
1: are all new characters. These all are new all, characters. totally new characters.
0: Cool, cool, cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> my overarching point about this is that I think this is really funny. <laughs> <laughs> like the the bit down like I I I genuinely had to stop myself from laughing to ruin the recording. because the, the bit you wrote at the end where you're like, finally I would note that the mine captain himself was unaware not only of the specifics, but but the actual fact of the mine sale.
1: Just that's just really well written. It's really funny. <laughs> Because
0: can you imagine being like some bloke who's like, I don't know, some bloke working in Mackie D's, right? And all around him, everything changes to be like Burger King paraphernalia. And he's just standing there completely unaware that there's been a change of ownership.
1: Well no, it's more it's more like he turned up one day and everything was different and no one told him it was happening.
0: It's just, just And he's the mind captain he's like the dude you'd want to tell like the one person you'd want to tell <laughs> I, just, I think that's so good that line the, the, output, the actual fact of the mind sale <laughs> oh god Bill that's actually hilarious <laughs> uh, okay but aside from that the, um, the points a uh, few quick points none mm-hmm. of, most of which aren't actually related to the actual piece but just things that popped up while you're reading um mm-hmm. You say here in the first paragraph, not only has it, uh, failed to generate a single coin in profit, etc. Um, just the word coin there got me thinking about, uh, I want to put in a request for future writings on the monetary system of, uh, these people. Sure. I would love to see some that, or maybe, I don't know, maybe there's something like there's a change of coinage, uh, to commemorate some character, and we could learn about this new character, famous person, and this the printing of coins and like how they work and things like that. Um, yeah, that would be extremely interesting. You make a note um, of that. Hmm. Um, <laughs> a single coin of profit. <laughs> it's because the mine captain doesn't know what's going on. <laughs>
1: No, like, he's he's a competent mine captain. He's keeping the mine running insofar as he can under the circumstances. <laughs> Just the owners didn't tell him they were selling it. <laughs> do, you know, do you know that meme where I'm going to describe it poorly, but it's like the, the burning house meme?
0: Do you know that? Like, it's a dude and the house is burning around them and he's like, everything's fine. It's it's a dog. Or whatever, whatever. That meme, you know that meme? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the mine captain. Yeah. <laughs> he's just there he's just doing his job keeping stuff going and he's oblivious to the absolute chaos I just think it's so good poor mine captain we need to get him as a named character Bill. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay another point I had there was um, thirdly I was of the belief that as is custom elsewhere in Anches the human neighbour of this mine would be acquired as an asset so I just want to probe a little bit into this Um, is this is this like a quasi-slavery deal or is this a, you buy the mine, you own the employees, you can use those employees f- for what you want. They become your employees. Or is it like you literally own these humans? Because later on, you say stuff like human capital and things like that. So it implies, or at least it read to me as being slavery-esque. Uh, is that the case? Yes. Yes. So, so, so you buy the mine and you buy a heap of slaves.
1: They they're not uh, they're not slaves in like a ch- uh, chattel kind of sense, um, but it, the the conditions would probably be considered slavery in a modern context. They 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 are paid, um, uh, and as as is pointed out here, the ones here actually have a, a slightly better deal than what he was expecting. He mm. was expecting that if he bought them, he would kind of own their labor, that he would have kind of control of their their contracts of indenture or whatever. And yeah, so
0: and if he wanted to, he could make someone a fisherman and that'd be fine. He could do that. But that turns out that that's not actually the case, as yes. per the contract yes. he signed. Yeah. yeah.
1: And he 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 and the rest of the Lansk combined enterprises um board or whatever were, were of the belief that in the Anchest this is what you did, that you, you owned the employees, or at the minimum you, you owned their labour. Um so it's not quite that. As long as the mine is operating, they can't go anywhere else. Um hmm. and so if he shuts down the mine to to but and he doesn't have the right to move them around, um as he as he had hoped to do, um and if he shuts down the mine then they're they're free they they can go to work somewhere else.
0: See. When you describe it there, that sounds incredibly not funny, but the way you've written it is again hilarious. I just for, for the listeners, I'd like to read this bit out again. I'm going to laugh my way through this, I'm really sorry, but I just think the rhythm of this is really great. So, Bill says, given the disastrous performance of the operation so far, we had hoped to recoup our losses by relocating the workers to other labour. I have since learned that the miners are prevented from seeking other employment while our mine is operational. Semicolon. However, should we cease activity, they are, in effect, free to seek employment elsewhere. And I just love the in effect. <laughs> they are, <laughs> as you may well know. <laughs> oh, this is so good. It's so good. Uh, come here. Is, is, um... Is your is your man Jensir, is he a bit of an idiot like? Like has he been conned by a real good con man? Or is this some like You um, You mean Naham? Sorry, yeah, I mean Naham. Sorry, sorry, my fault. yeah, the writer mm-hmm. of this letter. Is he a bit of an idiot or uh, has he been conned by a really good con man? Because it, well, it it reads kind of like he's, I don't know, like a moneyed person who is all like, I'm gonna go off and own a mine. Um like on like on kitchen nightmares, people are constantly being like, "I'm going to own a restaurant just because I have money," and they're crap at it because they have no idea of how it works. It reads a little bit like that, where it's like, "Today I want to own a mine," and they've no confidence in it, and they just get screwed
1: left, right, and center. Um, probably not quite as harsh as you're describing, but you're you're you know something of that flavor. Um, he he, you know, he's the director of the thing for a reason, but he's naive <laughs> when it comes to. To overseas, or well, it's not overseas, I guess, but to to acquiring foreign businesses, and was was misled by a, a an unscrupulous license prospector.
0: And there's there's no equipment in the mine, Bill. <laughs> he shows up table, and there's not a.
1: He, he's never actually been there. Oh, he's never been. There. He's never actually been. No, it's it's it's. He's entirely uh, directed from from Lansk.
0: Wait, so he hasn't wait. actually. Been. Hold on. So does does the poor does our friend the poor mine captain show up for work on a Monday morning, and suddenly there's no equipment anywhere?
1: Yeah, I I'm I'm imagining that like he showed up and there were kind of <laughs> not exactly bailiffs, but not exactly not bailiffs uh, from from whoever leased from whichever subset of the Tamari was was leasing the, the equipment came to to reclaim it, and there was a bit of a bit of a standoff and a bit of confusion.
0: Oh man. In mind, Captain, we trust. Um, <laughs> the fi- final point here I have is just just a clarification of terms here. Uh, mm-hmm. At the end, um, you say, we have uh, we have no great expectation of satisfaction in this matter. All the evidence suggests that your client is a scoundrel and a mountebank. Yeah. What's a mountebank? I've never heard that word before.
1: Uh, mountebank is like uh, a con man.
0: Really? I'm assuming yeah. that's quite archaic uh
1: some I guess
0: when's the last time you called someone a mount mountebank in earnest
1: <laughs> me personally yeah I mean I call my dog a mountebank quite often do you really yeah well oh, I mean i i i i insult her with a lot of lot of obscure words um <laughs>
0: that is actually really cute
1: <laughs> <laughs> I call her a scoundrel quite often um, yeah I guess it's kind of maybe 1700s I don't know
0: yeah, that's 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 mad. You're so. It's, anachronistic. but no, it's
1: it's 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 a word that's in use. You're
0: you're so wonderfully anachronistic. Do you know what? It's just. <laughs> well, it's I, I, I,
1: I'm I'm writing for the for the setting.
0: You you are, but you, but you, in all fairness, Bill, you are still wonderfully anachronistic. Like you're you you listen to your hyper pop, dressed in your like. Uh, Ye oldie, I don't want to use bad adjectives here, but ye oldie like men's formal wear. Do you know your smoking jacket? No one wears a smoking jacket anymore on a day to day basis. And there was that one picture
1: you had. <laughs> I don't wear it on a day to day basis, of... <laughs> Bill. Don't dispel these. Don't dispel this notion I have. Don't disabuse you of this notion. <laughs> exactly. And there's that one time you wore that like
0: ruffled jacket that was like straight out of the 1700s or ruffled shirt.
1: I in, have no memory of I've never owned one of those.
0: Oh, but you sent in a picture to the show, and you were in your you are in like a velvet smoking jacket with like a, a frilly shirt.
1: I'm pretty sure I wasn't in a frilly shirt, Edgar.
0: Oh, in my mind in my mind, I think it was a frilly shirt. I just I just love the notion of again, there's hyperpop playing in the background, and you're wearing a smoking jacket and a frilly shirt and shouting the word mountebank at your dog. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> Uh, anyways, um, that was a that was a great proposal. that was actually a blast that was so that was oh, I'm glad you enjoyed so, it. so much fun I'm sorry I don't have any great discussions like usually we try and do some philosophical discussions but like you know we had the privatized policing a uh, little discussion a while ago and you know the evils of capitalism whatever but this this is just gas this is just really really fun Um, and I fully approve Twelve out of 12, three thumbs up.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you very much.
0: Uh, have you got anything final, to add?
1: So, I I wrote this like an hour ago. Um, wow! I wrote this an, under under extreme duress or extreme under extreme uh, pressure. Um, I was I was really really stuck, um, uh, and this came to me. The the actual the genesis of it was in fact the the third objection.
0: Third, Jack Holman, which is the the human labor, yeah, not having the human labor be at your disposal,
1: yeah, and I wasn't exactly sure kind of what to do with it, and I couldn't remember what I'd said about slavery and the Abeski before, um, and I'm still I'm still not entirely sure what I'd said before, um, but I thought it would be this would be kind of a thing to explore, um, that you know the. This guy expecting that he is he is owned people now, and the letter of complaint is he's upset that he doesn't own some people. Um, is <laughs> <Whoa, it's> me? <laughs> yeah, right. Um that that's where that's where it came from, and I sat down to write it, and I was, uh, I had I kind of started off a few different ways, um, and I kind of came up with a few different things for him to be annoyed about, um. And then I remembered, and this became the basis of uh, not everything, but it, it certainly informed my structure here. The oldest known letter of complaint.
0: Oh, is okay. I have vague memories of some sort of ugh, like some I don't know Mesopotamian like clay tablet banging on about how bushels of wheat weren't supplied, or some note, something like that. Is that in any way correct?
1: you're you're largely there hmm. so uh, this is a bit, a bit of a meme and um, it's the complaint tablet to a nasir nice the complaint which is, tablet which is a clay tablet that was sent to ancient ur the city of ur written in 1750 bc or thereabouts and it's a complaint to a merchant named a nasir from a customer named Nanny. and it's about uh, substandard copper and um being rude to his servant
0: Nice on the subject of of complaint tablets, I write all of my complaints on tablets. Bill I'll have you know um <laughs> the I as part of my college studies uh as part of our college studies, well, actually no, did you probably enough to do this? Did you do chamber music? No, no, well,
1: kind of not in the same way you did
0: okay, so uh, Bill was a composer, I was an instrumentalist, instrumentalist I had to do a thing called chamber music, which is basically you form a group and you play with other musicians, simple. Um and I, uh, my group was uh, myself and one of my best friends in college, um, a singer, and w- one of the pieces we performed was called Letters from uh, Composers. I'll leave links in the show notes, and <laughs> it's by ba- it's by this guy Dominic Argento, who basically took letters. From composers and made music out of it. And one of my favourite movements or favourite pieces in it was a letter that J.S. Bach wrote to a town council complaining that some dude got married out of the jurisdiction of the town. And because of doing that, he didn't want to pay Bach whatever fees he had due And Bach makes a big rambling thing of it. And I just love, I'll read out some of the lyrics here and go listen to it. Because in song form, it's bloody hilarious. Because it's so over the top once you sing a letter of complaint. Um, But it goes, Magnificent, most honourable gentlemen, our wise and learned counsellors, distinguished lords and patrons, etc, etc, etc. Uh, may it please you to condescend to hear how Herr Johannes Friedrich Einkelwein, a merchant in the town of Leipzig, was married on the twelfth of August of the present year, out of town, and therefore thinks himself entitled to withhold from us the fees due in all such cases, and has made bold to disregard our many kind reminders. And it goes on, and uh, listen to that, <laughs> listen to that being sung, and it's actually hilarious because again, the singer has the singer has to sing, etc. 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 It's just it's just such it's so fun, and I particularly enjoyed it because like you know we'd all do our chamber music exams, like these group performances on largely the same day, and like before us there'd be some people coming in playing like real hoity toity, um, like a, pff, I don't know like a Brahms piano trio or something like like serious music, and there's myself and um, my best mate. Uh, both of us may have had dreadlocks at the time. Rock up on stage <laughs> and, then, and then just sing about sing about Bach's dispute with t- with, with this guy, Herr Johannes Friedrich find And take it with all the seriousness that classical music deserves, but just just with these words. It was gas. So yeah, that's that's my uh, contribution to complaints complaint tablet corner.
1: Um just that thing about about the, the seriousness um versus the humor. I I always have this really strong memory of going to the opera with you. Do you remember this? No. To see Albert Herring. No. So it's it was it was I think it was the year we lived together, and uh, the college put on a production of Albert Herring by uh, Benjamin Britten, and it was in it was in the Project Arts Centre in Dublin.
0: Oh man, I have completely blocked that from my memory.
1: Well, the, the reason I remember it is because we went on the first night uh. and like we went to see it because like all our mates were in it. Um, and we laughed ourselves silly because it's so funny. It's Did we? really. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really funny. And no one else there was laughing because we were there to see the opera and everyone else was there to be at the opera and they were treating it like really seriously and you know this is a piece of art mm. which it is but it's also a piece of entertainment and no one else could appreciate that
0: I I genuinely don't remember that whatsoever that's insane yeah that's absolutely insane well I'm glad past edgar found it really funny <laughs> uh, cuz god like opera opera can be opera can be a whole slog to get through
1: oh it really can it really but, can but like these ones, these were like written, um, to be popular entertainment mm-hmm. in the in the fifties. Like I was, I was after the war, and and there, there, there wasn't a, a particularly big mass media. Uh, there was radio and stuff, but this mm-hmm. was like kind of it was it was culture, but it was also entertainment, and it was written to be funny, and it was it was meant to be for anyone to be able to to go and see and enjoy.
0: Yeah, um, and I think I think as well though, like people people do think of classical music as being um like, a little bit super serious and stuff. But, like, yeah. y- y- you can pick any composer and I absolutely guarantee you there's going to be works that they've uh, created that are just complete, like, satire or nonsense. Like, the oh, fa- yeah. the famous example is uh, Mozart has a fugue. Uh, I think it's a fugue. Ooh, I might need to correct myself on that. Um, uh, That's entitled Lech Mich im Arsch. Uh, I don't and,
1: think it's a fugue, but yeah, like, I, know, I know the thing i think talking about. Yeah.
0: Is it a canon? Is it a canon? Hold on, we need to Google this. It's a round. It's a round, there we go. Uh, and yeah. Lech mich, lech mich im Arsch yeah. in in German means, it basically means kiss my ass. Um, And it's like, he does this in like, you know, what we would consider like a really like super cultured form factor or whatever. And it's just Mozart just being like, whatever, a 20 something year old uh, looper, you know, just doing the thing. And yeah, I think sometimes classical music takes itself a little bit too seriously. And that was part of myself, that myself and my friend, we were kind of like, we'd really like to do something that really isn't that serious. Cause after all, we're just doing exams here. It's not like we're performing for royalty. So we're like, let's just do something that's great fun. So we decided on complaint letters written by long dead composers. Yeah, that's <laughs>
1: great. I'm going to definitely going to have to look it up.
0: It's it's fantastic. It's absolutely great. Um, so uh, so that was that. <laughs> that was that. Um, yeah. Um,
1: that's what the, else was there? Yeah. In it's the else. Um Does the significance of, of this uh, of this line or this sentence come across? Um, so again, in the third paragraph, again, being a small independent business at some remove from the site, we lack the ability to enforce this issue particularly in a province so deeply contested between the companies
0: um, possibly not I mean I mean I'm getting vibes of um, all but kind of warfare between the two companies trying to uh, colonize this space um, no what's the, whats the significance
1: so um you're, you're right that the, the various companies are kind of present here and they're present in force and they will use force um, if necessary. Uh, but essentially uh, the letter writer is bemoaning the fact that he can't enslave the workers by force. He's, they're too far away and it mm. wouldn't be, it wouldn't be possible f- um, for kind of like directly like militaristic reasons. He couldn't bring a a, a ship, an armed ship there um, because he would probably get uh, fired upon by the companies, and he doesn't have the the authority, or he doesn't have the ability to assert authority in that in that setting.
0: Could he not just hire someone from the companies?
1: In theory, whether whether they would whether they would do that is not clear. Whether he would have the money to do that is not clear. Um, whether that would be a good business move for them isn't clear.
0: Yeah, they might just treat it as being like small fries. It's Like, who cares if a local yeah. mine somewhere is having. Procedural issues, if you will. Yeah.
1: Like, they would think? probably be more interested in actually acquiring the mine themselves, then.
0: Yeah. Uh, come here, quick question. What is the mine mining? Bitcoin.
1: Uh, <laughs> NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> NFTs, um, exactly. Uh, I've, I don't know. Okay, the, copper. N- copper. Okay. <laughs> Let's say.
0: Um, but like no, no fantasy thing here. No fantasy element. Just a regular real world metal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Um, all right.
1: Great work, sir. Um, yeah, I think I think that is everything.
0: I enjoyed. We lolled. We talked about classical music. <laughs> what more could you want? Uh, onwards to green room.
1: Green room.
0: Green room. Green room. Um, so we are going to talk now about Obelisk Gate, which is a second bur- book in the Broken Earth trilogy by N.K. Jem- Jemison? Jemison. I think it's Jemison, yeah. Jemison. Um, uh There is going to be no other content beyond this point. There will be spoilers, so if you've not read the book, stop now. If you have read the book, keep listening. Um, Also, uh, next time we review a book, uh, myself and Bill were thinking about reviewing uh, Dune, which mm-hmm. I'm assuming the first book is called Dune, correct?
1: It is called Dune, yeah.
0: yes. So, given that it's in vogue at the moment and they made the movie, which I saw and I thought was quite good, um... The yeah, given it's in vogue, will will uh, I I'd like to reread Dune, so we'll review that the next time we come to do artifacts in book club corner. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Happy with that? I am. Okay. Obelisk Gate. Do you want to give a summary and then maybe some of your thoughts, Bill?
1: Um. So this is the second book in the Broken Earth trilogy by N. K. Jemison, as you said. Book one was the greatest book ever written. <laughs>
0: That is like little hyperbole. I love that book so much.
1: Um, that that was the fifth season, which you reviewed on the podcast. Uh, in the last year or six months or something, mm-hmm. time no longer has meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and this picks up uh pretty much directly after the end of the of the first book, mm. uh, with uh, Essen's story and her being the main character of the fifth season. Um, and it also introduces, as point of view characters, Essen's daughter, mm-hmm. um, Nassan, mm-hmm. is that right? Nassan, yep. Nassan, and um, Shafa, who was a, another character from the fifth season, uh, a, a sort of a, a guardian, as he was called, who was a sort of a, a nominal protector nominal <laughs> <of, laughs> yeah very nominal um of the of the the uh origin characters um and it also i don't think it, it was clear in the first book that the the narrator so so all of um Essen's story is told in second person it's it's directed at you yes um and i don't think it was clear in the first book that the the narrator was actually hoap the, Wait, hang on. The... Hold
0: on, hold on now, hold on. Is that clear in this book? Yes. Oh,
1: are you sure about that? I am fairly sure.
0: Oh, because I, 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 I listened to some reviews of Obelisk Gate and uh, I recall at least one uh, that was like, I think she's leading up to letting us know that Hoa is the narrator in the third book.
1: I mean, definitely in the interludes, it's Hoa. And I get the impression in the other second person narrated ones that it's it's Hoa as well.
0: Yeah, see I, I'm
1: I, fairly sure.
0: See, I thought that but like I think so I read this book one and a half times, right? Um I didn't make it through the second full second read before we record. Um and I picked up on that the second time around, but part of me thought that I only picked up on that because I was told that hey, it might be Hoa. I didn't mm. realise that Cheeks exp- like that was made explicit.
1: I mean, it's it, There's no point. There's no bit of dialogue that is. I am Hoa, and I am talking to you. Um, but the all of the stuff around it, I think, is is made it pretty clear to me that it was it was meant to be Hoa.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. Fair enough. Cool. Um, that might have been. If that isn't in the book, that is quite a large spoiler for a whole series, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we said there'd be spoilers. We did. Um. We did. um Spoilers for this book and all books. Um, yeah, so yeah, it, it, now, Essun is written in second person and it has become clear that this is a narration. Someone, mm-hmm. Hoa is narrating to, to. Yeah. I'm assuming to Essun herself. Well, yeah, because it's you. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Um, and Hoa being a, a, a stone eater character who's a, sort of a, another another race, another sentient race. <laughs> Um and yeah, so it follows uh how Essen's story progresses in the the calm that she ends up in at the end of the first book, uh which is Kestrima. mm mm-hmm. Kestrima. Yeah. And then it follows Nasun from the beginning of of the the fifth season. So after um uh Zija, who's Nasun's father, Essen's husband, murders uh their their other child. Um, and then runs away with, with their daughter.
0: Yeah, so Nassun's star- story, if I recall correctly, uh, basically starts as the fifth season starts. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. We with, just kind with, of... With, with f-
1: fleeing uh, Tur- Turma. Turimo. Um, Turimo, that's yeah. it.
0: Um, yeah, so it almost acts like a kind of flashback sort of jazz in a way. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I really enjoyed this. I read this quite soon after I read the the first book, um, and then I reread the entire thing in the last like two days, um, so it was quite rushed, and I couldn't really remember who all of the characters were at the start, particularly the characters in Castrema. Yeah, um, I, saw- I found that hard to keep a little bit hard to keep track of at the beginning. Um, uh, I mean, I guess that's going to happen in a, a sequel um when it's been a while since i've read the first one um uh overall i re- really enjoyed this um it it builds on it 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 wasn't as revelatory as the first one in in terms of the world building um it yep. wasn't as kind of fresh and exciting but again that's just a natural thing um it it builds on uh what we know uh very very well and adds adds new elements and um there are there are very clear analogs to to things in, as there were in, the, in in the first book as well. But one element that's reintroduced here is in the relationship between Giza and Nasan, that he is taking her somewhere where he thinks he can she can be cured of her orogeny, um, uh, and that's a very a very obvious uh, an analog or allusion to queer conversion therapy. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. Uh, and it's you know it's it's portrayed as a, an an equally an equally abusive intent.
0: Mm. This book definitely keeps up the vibes of extreme abuse. Yeah, uh, yeah, that has not abated with the
1: second book. the 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 big kind of revelation on that front is is that uh, uh, Essen subjected her own children oh. to the same abusive training that she was subjected to uh, when it's revealed that, that she broke Nasson's hand the way that Shaffa had broken her her hand when she was in training.
0: So I'm going to, I'd like to pick up there. Uh, let's call yeah. it the cycle of abuse, right? But before I mm-hmm. talk about the cycle of abuse, I want to finish off the summation thing because, uh, God bless you, sometimes you're really good at summations, but you've left out the, the whole point of the book or at least the kind of... Uh, Superficial point is I that absolutely have. <laughs> I absolutely have is that uh, we learned at the start of the last book, at the the end of the last book, that the moon there is this mysterious thing called the moon, and no one other than this character Alabaster seems to know what it was. And in this book, we find out that the moon is has been like destabilized into a highly elliptical orbit, and that highly elliptical orbit is destabilizing the planet, and it is the reason why this planet experiences seasons. Um, being kind of like these, uh, like uh, apocalyptic climate events, if you will, and the whole shtick is that between Alabaster and Esson, the kind of two main-ish characters, um, between the two of them, they need to try and find a way to get the moon back into a stable orbit to end the seasons for good. And uh, they have to use their, their powers, which is called orogeny in this setting, to do so. And as a means of uh, um, producing magic on that scale, um, they're going to have to utilize... Um, what they call The, the ob- obelisks.
1: Obelisks, yeah. yeah. The, the
0: things in the air, they're obelisks, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, they're going to have to use these like structures called obelisks that float in the air in connection with this thing called the obelisk gate. Which, as far as I can tell, was this giant-ass hole that cuts through the planet uh, and the whole, basically All this book is Essun learning about kind of how this will work and setting up for book tree being, we bring the moon back and mm-hmm. ever return everything to normal. um. And so that's a large part of it. And Alabaster is being eaten away. He's been turned into stone. So he'll, I'm assuming soon become not of any use to anyone. Oh, in fact, actually does he die in this book?
1: Does he, he become... dies and then he he returns as a stone eater
0: that's right okay so he's he's kind of become a bit of a marginal ish character so it's gonna be up to Esu now in this next book to make all all the
1: magic happen and um, mm-hmm. so that's this kind of superficial point but clearly the actual meanwhile though meanwhile there is a, a rival faction uh, there, there's, there's mm-hmm. a, some kind of something very complicated happening in the background which isn't really fully explained and um, because we only see it from from certain characters points of view. Um, there there is a a, a multi sided conflict, but we know that one side of it, which is um, where Esun's daughter ends up, um, wants to in fact destroy the planet by bringing the moon in collision, mm. or it's, it's very very strongly suggested that that's what they want.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, there's the people who want to end it, the people who there's stone eaters who want to coexist with humans like, the right way or whatever. And then I think there's, isn't there also another faction of stone eaters who just want to get rid of these bloody pesky humans altogether? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a whole bunch of, like, different p- people and groups trying to desert their dominance over this this world, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, but, so, but again, that, that's the superficial sort of thing. What this book, what I think this book very clearly is about, is actually about, is uh, the story of cycles of abuse. Mm-hmm. As Bill alluded to there, we find out that, uh, uh, like, Esun, the main character, she was abused by this guy, Shafa, who was a guardian. Um, and we find out in this book that... And es-
1: also, like, institutionally abused by the, the, the entire structure that in, in which she was oh, trained.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and then at, by society at large, because she's yeah. she has magic powers, so she's just abused by everyone all the time, basically. Um, or runs the risk of being abused by everyone all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... The In the the previous book, it was uh, a case of, like, you know, we were told about, like, how horrible it is for Essen to undergo all of this. And in this book, we find out that Essen effectively did the same abuse to her daughter. And I think this book is about cycles of abuse and how, like, you know, uh, one person uh, gets abused by someone else and then they will pass that on to the next generation, and the cycle continues. And the same thing with, like, you know, drug addiction and things like that. You often see these things, these abuse uh, structures go in cycles. And this book, I think, basically is probing at what cycles of abuse look like and how they manifest and why they happen. Um, And also, but also, I think, really subtly as well, in a sort of weird way, kind of attempting to paint the abusers not entirely as monsters, so, like, Esun is painted not entirely as a monster, like, as a very flawed person. Mm. um. Because, again, like, I think most of the time, like, very rarely are people just, like, evil. Um, I think most of the time, like, bad people are m- kind of made bad because of circumstance or what was done to them and things like that. Yeah. Um. And so that the book explores that as well, like Essen isn't evil, but like she's she underwent hardship and then kind of passed that on. And then yeah. Shafa as well, like he's not presented as being like this, uh, what's called hyper real notion of a child abuser. Really, like he's kind of presented as almost being sympathetic in this book. Like he almost goes yeah. on a redemption arc, which is kind of nuts. So it's just,
1: well, go on, go on, So so he he more or less sells his soul. Hmm. At one point um and is actually a lot better afterwards. he's a lot less horrible after he does that um you know he he that's when he becomes a more sympathetic character in in kind of losing an element of 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 what made him so abusive beforehand um he 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 that's one kind of part of his redemption, but we don't know we don't exactly know yet what the cost of that is or what the ramifications of what he does of what he has done are.
0: But I think that feeds into this narrative of the cycle of abuse that in that, like, if you can, you, the abuser, or say you, the addict, or you with some problem in Mm. your life, if you can find a way of getting rid of, like, one element of that, like, let's say you, you do a bunch of drugs because, you know, your parents did a bunch of drugs. If you can find a way of, like, kicking the drugs... um everything just becomes brighter and better, yeah. you know what I mean? And so I think Shafa is kind of almost like, um, yeah, he just, it, 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 it he feeds into this narrative, of, like, what is a cycle of abuse? How can it be ended? What can be done, etc. And, you know, narratively, it's done through his basic, like, selling his soul, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. Um, I actually didn't really care at all for... Um, the moon stuff and the obelisk gate and all the magic like this was kind of read more like just like a an interpersonal uh, book about the rela- yeah. the relations close relatives in a way go to be it biological or not.
1: Mm. Um yeah. D- uh, did you did you pick up on the thing where um, Esson has PTSD?
0: Esson has PTSD.
1: <sighs> yep.
0: Wait a minute, let me think. Where does she... Uh...
1: No? So there, there's a, a bit in one of Nasson's chapters. Uh, so it's talking about how uh, Zija, her father, reacts to uh, Origins in general. Um, and it's he, he had a traumatic experience as a child where, where one of his friends was killed. Um, and Nasson... N- nason makes this comparison um he reacts to even the thought of origins the way that mama used to react to red wine with fast breath and shaking hands and sometimes freezing or weak knees daddy could never even bring things that were burgundy colored into the house but sometimes he would forget and do it anyway and once it was done there was no reasoning with mama nothing to be done but wait for her shakes and rapid breathing and hand wringing to pass so she has PTSD. Oh, yeah. Panic attacks are triggered by yeah. stuff the same color as what the guardians wore. Now, Nasan doesn't know that, mm. but the guardians wore like burgundy colored clothes. Yeah. And you know, she suffered this abuse at the hands of Shafa, who was a guardian. She lost her first family um, in in a, a, a battle with with uh, guardians. Um, so that, that color triggers uh, panic attacks.
0: Yeah, I I I remember that line, but for some yeah. reason I didn't read it as PTSD. But yeah, clearly that's PTSD. Everyone in this bloody setting
1: is PTSD. <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not unreasonable <laughs> given how horrible the world is. Yeah,
0: that, oh man, it's so it's so bleak, it's so bleak.
1: And um, um, and there's a lot in it as well. There was some of this in the first book, um, but there's there's more in it here about how the systems kind of the systems of oppression perpetuate themselves like there's a lot about the racial superiority of the the equatorials yeah. in the first one. Um and it's it's given like again it's it's not it's not like cartoon villain. It it's it is given a a context and it's given a, a an in-world justification as in the, a, the way that people can justify it. Um but there was a line here um uh from one of Sone's chapters about um you know, obeying the, the strictures that were put upon them. You obeyed once because you thought it would make you safe. Uh, so that she went along with how things were in, in the fulcrum under the, the existing system because mm. she thought that was how I can, I can survive. And that's shown to be false. And there's another line. Um, sorry, let me find it here. I have, I have, uh, highlighted a bunch of things. Um, Alabaster says to her about the, about the magic. <laughs> when they discover that there is this this other power kind of parallel to Orogeny. Um, the civilization that made the obelisks had a word for this. I think there's a reason we don't. No one for countless generations had, has wanted origins to understand what we do. They've just wanted us to do it. So it's denying them the language to express yeah. their experiences and denying them the the ability to have knowledge of it. Yeah, for sure. And that's for just sure. another example of like a, a system to perpetuate the the oppression by by denying them kind of full personhood or the the kind of autonomy in their experience
0: yeah for sure for sure uh, and it it continues perfectly those themes from the first book um, Yeah. because that, that was a lot of, a lot of stuff like that was in the in the first book as well um god i don't know why i like such a grim book
1: <laughs> I, I think i for me it's it's like i don't know I, I i like stuff that's grim anyway <laughs> i just that's that's what i'm into um it, something about it appeals to me, but here it's it is done convincingly, and without, you know, like it as nothing about it's cartoonish. There, there's absolutely horrible, heinous stuff happens in it, but it 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 is it it makes sense in context, yeah. and it's not it's not lurid either. Um, no. you know, it's 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 kind of. There's a sort of banality of evil to it. You can see why people do these things. You can see why they're evil. They're, you know, it it is it is a horrible conclusion to arrive to, but there is a, a logical path to bring us there.
0: Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, I have like two small criticisms that I might air and see if you agree or not. Um, I think these are very minor, given that like again, the book is about you know structures of abuse and that sort of crack. Um. But still, uh, I, I find the naming of Esun and Nasun to be just, like, almost perf- uh, purposefully opaque. And you, <laughs> I constantly have to be like, wait, who is who? Wait, which? Because they're so similar. Just give them entirely different names. Like, it's just so confusing. Um, and very often, like, I listen to it while cooking. I listen to the book while cooking or while doing mm-hmm. some admin work or whatever. So, like, I might zone out for, like, five minutes and then come back and there's been a chapter change. That I missed, and I'm like, wait a minute, we're not just talking about S soon, like, but we were. This nasty, and it's just like, it's so confusing every time, every time. So, just I don't know why she did that. It's very, it's, 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 yeah, it's mad, maddening. Um, and then the other thing is that I think, although I really enjoyed this book, I don't think it's as good as the first book because I think the first book had you know that gimmick, um, with the whole like reveal and the, the three people are one person, that sort of jazz, which is a real kind of like bums off the seat moment. This one. Kind of necessarily had to just be more of like I need to explain what's going on here before we mm. get to the conclusion in the um in the third thing, uh, third book middle book syndrome I think is what it's called, um and there was a lot of that like I found some of the exposition stuff between um Esun or and Alabaster to so just be a little bit like I'm really just being explained like, the way this is going to work. Like, as in, like, there's this thing called the Obelisk Gate and you got this thing that's, like, slightly different from Rajni, we'll call it magic, and then there's the Obelisks and, like, I'm going to hold your hand through this and we're going to put one and one together to set you up for the third book. It was a little bit exposition-heavy, I thought, in places, and mm. it didn't have... Yeah, it didn't have the feel of, like, a, a grand sort of adventure it felt very much like, you know, Essun is stuck in this one place because she has to be pinned down, because she needs to be talked to about what's going to happen in the third book. So I think it suffered from a little bit. And I did a little bit of Googling around, and apparently opinions on this are, like, cut down the middle. Like, some reviewers are like, this book suffers severely from middle book syndrome. And other other reviews apparently praise it for avoiding middle book syndrome. So... I'm a little bit confused as to what's actually going on, but for me, it felt a little bit like mm-hmm. this was clearly a bridge book, like. Um, but it did enough stuff with the whole cycles of abuse and that sort of crack um, that it, it it kept me going. Um, but the first book, I think, is clearly, you know, outsta- outstanding, and it, this one was never going to match it. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, agree, disagree? Um, I, I... I just think I'm someone who's not bothered by that kind of exposition, because uh, it's a thing that people say um, quite often about stuff, um, and it's the thing we've we've talked about in things before, and it's never really bothered me in places where it's bothered you. Um,
0: yeah, do you remember? Neil, do you remember your man Stevenson in what's it? What's that book?
1: Oh, snow Crash.
0: Is it Snow Crash? Yeah, the, the snow, the Snow Crash, the book with the metaverse. Yeah. Yeah, I find it gassed that Facebook went with that name. I thought that was a bit like, do you even understand what you're doing here? Like, just, I mean, I'm
1: I'm assuming it was it was deliberate, but it's classic tech pros missing the point of things.
0: But but sure, if it's but if it's deliberate, like, surely someone would make the connection that it's like you're borrowing this thing from like this dystopian novel, like the, the Metaverse is not painted in a massively great light. In said book, like, they've really missed the point in that one. Um,
1: Again, that's like, how many people, there's actually a, a fairly common meme for this of, you know, looking at cyberpunk and, and people being like, oh, yeah, you know, cool technology. And missing that it's about, you know, a- exploitation under you know, hyper capitalism and, you know, the alienation of modernism and missing all that stuff. And just like, oh, it's got cyborg ninjas. Awesome. <laughs> No, it's, it's not meant to be aspired to.
0: Uh, I find it a little bit worrying. Sorry, we're on a tangent here, but I find it a little bit worrying that uh, the CEO of one of the world's biggest uh, corporations um, buys into that. Where they're like, oh yeah, metaverse, man. <laughs> just, no, so bad. Uh, cringetastic. It's Anyhow. almost
1: like building a fascism applying uh, data theft device doesn't mean that you're smart or insightful about culture. Exact. That's very eloquently popped,
0: though.
1: <laughs> Almost.
0: Anyhow, obfuscate.
1: Obfuscate. I have a couple. I've three more points here.
0: Three more points. Go for.
1: It. Um, that I've taken down. I'm sure other things may arise. Um. Uh-huh. Uh. There's a celiac character in it.
0: Oh, just I missed that? There's a celiac character.
1: Yeah. Wuda gets sick when he eats certain kinds of grain and is very small and frail because he doesn't get enough good food. And one of oh. the kids at, at uh, was it Moon Moonfall? Found Moon. Found Moon. No. Yeah, one of the kids at Found Moon, one of the other uh, origins in training there. Oh. Um, I missed which that. That, that, seem, that seems like the uh, p- plausible description of, of a, a celiac mm-hmm. in a in a society that doesn't have a diagnosis for that. Um, which I just thought was that was kind of neat. Um, uh, so there was there was a description. Uh, Tonki gives a description of something she sees in a museum somewhere. Um, uh, One perfectly round yellow stone, about an inch in circumference. Someone had put it in a glass case, sealed and plastered with warnings not to touch. Apparently, the thing had a reputation for punching holes in people. <laughs> Do you reckon that's meant to be radioactive?
0: I mean, maybe, but there, does radioactive material punch a hole in people?
1: Like, I, I could see that could be a, you know, third or fourth hand translation of it.
0: Possibly,
1: yeah. I mean... There, there's, a, there's a a mineral called carnitite, which is yellow, and and is a, a uranium ore. Or is it some kind of like processed if it's a perfectly round little sphere is it a pellet of nuclear fuel or something
0: <laughs> Carnotite from Happy Jack Mine in Utah Oh, the Happy Jack <laughs> Mine um, but I mean possibly maybe yeah you'd have to lean heavily into like a third or fourth hand translation of it um, yeah because... I'm sort
1: wondering what else that could be or is it just meant to be like some some kind of fantasy or some kind of tech thing that we don't know
0: yeah I don't know You said she found it in a museum Was that was that not the part Where she broke into Like this weird ass Like room Or something Like a, I thought it was like A control room Or something
1: That was That was a different conversation But oh, I okay. do have a point about that Do it Go for it So you know She she picks up A scrap of iron mm. From something And then it burrows Into her hand And And uh, Esalen has to Has to get it out And, and ends up Cutting off Tonky's arm In the process um very
0: Star Wars esque with the amount of like limbs being lost.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um is that a core stone that the Guardians have? What's a core stone? <laughs> so the, the, the Guardians have a core stone implanted in their uh Cesinepe, what was that what the organ is called? They've got something put in, um, something inserted surgically into them. Yeah, um, and it's it's I think it's said that it's a piece of metal. Um oh. so is is that and like it's could be because that's, it's kind of, I don't know if it's implied or it's made totally explicit. If it's totally explicit, I missed it. But it's, it's implied that that's kind of, um, something from Father Earth, uh, um, that, that is, is communicating with them. Um, and that was the impression I got from this passage as well, where it goes into Tonki and travels up her arm, um, and attempts to kind of, like, take her over or something. Um, um, yeah now that wouldn't make total sense that necessarily that this like dead civilization had this before guardians existed but but maybe a core stone is something from that civilization repurposed
0: yeah it could well be uh yeah um,
1: i, I mean, don't know that's yeah. just something that occurred to me
0: but then, then the question is why is it there Um, yeah
1: that's what I mean it wouldn't necessarily make sense that that was like they kept core stones there and that was it was meant to be a core stone but that that is a some artifact and that is used now as a core stone or mm. became repurposed as such
0: Mm. yeah yeah could well be yeah Um, do you know what I find sorry just interrupt a little bit I find it a uh, little bit uh, frustrating is that I get the impression that the stone eaters like know a lot of stuff and uh, mm-hmm. that they just are not telling to the characters for like reasons. Um, and yeah. sometimes I find that a bit annoying because I think in that scene, in the control room type thing, there was a stone eater present there. I- I'm pretty sure that the stone eater could just turn around and be all like, yeah, I know exactly what that thing is. Um, it, You know, here, here's here's everything you need to know. Um, But that's just not told to us. And uh, I, if I recall correctly, I don't think it's very satisfying because I think there was one point where uh, the... The stone eater with alabaster was interacting with Essen, and uh, the the stone Antonite. eater. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, Antimony. 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 Um.
1: An- an- Antimony.
0: And the uh, yeah, and, and it was basically like you. Oh, she kept saying things like you're not ready for that, and it's kind of like that sounds like a real sort of like I have all the answers, but it's just not going to give you them because like plot. Mm. um, That's a bit frustrating. Where you have these like all powerful beings. And they just refuse to tell people what's going on. Just tell them what the bloody iron spike is about, you know. <laughs> they
1: they are they are very alien, though. Um, and it's it's clear that they're very alien when, um, when we see Alabaster has has become, or when we see that there is a, an an Alabaster uh, stone eater. Um, it it sort of suggested that he doesn't have full memory, or he's not exactly the same personality wise. Um Oh yeah. so the, the passages only its eyes are black, and though they watch you with only faint recognition, with a puzzled flicker of something that might be memory, something about those eyes is familiar. So it's not a hundred percent the same necessarily. And then there's there's this really creepy thing that um Hoa says in one of his um one one of his passages. Mm. The the doctor says, Oh are you are you going to Are you gonna go eat? Um, Esson's arm because Esson's arm has become stone um, and Hoa and Hoa says no no more than you will eat her other arm some things are simple decency which is just, like that's totally alien like that doesn't make any sense <laughs> <laughs> like a simple decency to not eat someone um, maybe this is meant to be delivered with a sort of uh, wry humour but that mm. doesn't th- the impression I get from their character overall um, so like they are very very alien
0: yeah I, I take that but yeah I guess maybe when I was reading I just didn't th- that alienness didn't reach a point for me where it felt a, a satisfactory explanation why they aren't just explaining everything that's going on. Yeah. Um. But yeah no I take your point. Um. Yeah. How, how do you I know you're not a visual person but how do you visualize the the stone eaters if you visualize them at all?
1: It's kind of like I guess sculpture is kind of and they, they, at the bottom they kind of flow.
0: You know, you know Doctor Who? I'm going to get the name wrong, but you know those The, the Weeping, the weeping angels? angels? Yeah, I see them as the Weeping Angels.
1: <laughs> I, Cause, yeah, because it is it is said sometimes that you, you don't necessarily see them in motion. You just see them being in a new place. That they, that's that's mentioned a couple of times.
0: There's, yeah, there's loads of times where it's all like, you know, I was looking at Antimony, and then she just wasn't there and it's, we don't really yeah. know or it's not conveyed to us how they move. They just, did and now yeah. they're not there. Um. So yeah, I, I, I keep thinking them as being weeping angels, which I think is kind of a cool vibe, a cool aesthetic. Uh, and one, then I, Oh, sorry, one. No, after you. Well, I was going to say I see Hoa as being the kid from Up, uh, but in like, <laughs> in in like fancy dress weeping angels. It's the kid from Up going trick or treating for Halloween dressed as a weeping angel. That's Hoa. Anyhow, go on. I'm sure you have an astute point after my nonsensical thing there. Go on.
1: Um, the the one character that I do have quite a strong uh, visual thing for is actually Shafa. Oh, and hold on.
0: Before you say anything, let me... How do I think of him? I think of him as being... How would I describe this? Hagrid from Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. If Hagrid lost just enough weight right that he was still kind of like physically intimidating but gaunt enough to be kind of creepy uh, that is how I envisage Shafa. okay what do you
1: think um, now this might be totally off base because as I said I'm not very visual and I can't remember how he's described at the beginning of, of yeah, the fifth season no, no, um, can I? but I, I kind of think of him as being like Geralt of Rivia from The Witcher
0: what? From I the mean, Witcher
1: video games. Yeah, because I mean, he, he's he's pale, isn't he? He's pale skinned.
0: Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. So that, that, that's the... Uh, hold on.
1: The uh, main character from the Witcher. Uh, specifically the vi- Witcher video games? More so the video games than the TV show.
0: Okay, hold on. Uh, the Witcher. Yeah, I can see it. I, I, I think that's too handsome.
1: Okay, I yeah.
0: Think he's too much of a leading man there. I think Shafa's not a leading man. Um, yeah, that's
1: probably fair. That's probably uh,
0: but, fair. But again, if you, like, if you just, I'm looking at a picture of the dude there, right? Minus the white hair. A skinny Haggard could be him. Okay. You know? Kind of like big, bushy, long hair, beard. Um, You know, thin, but still robust. I think we're not a million miles away. Hmm. And I think of him as being really soft-spoken like, extremely soft-spoken, like, creepy soft-spoken. Yeah. Like, a sort of, like, you know, a school counsellor who kind of, like, never gets angry at you, but it's all like, now, we won't be burning down the school ever again, okay? (laughs) Like, a real sort of, like, doesn't get angry, just quiet and, like, cutting um, and borderline friendly, but not. um. Anyway, we're on a massive divergence. (laughs) You, You said you had two or three points left. I think you got through two there? No, I got through all three. Oh, that was all three. Okay, cool. So overall, what did you think? God, this has been a haphazard review of this book. It <laughs> well,
1: has been a total mess. <laughs> a total mess. <laughs> Oops, it's a clip. What? What? Overall,
0: what did you think about the book? And uh, uh, um, how do your thoughts compare to the first book?
1: Um overall, I thought it was very good. Um, it it takes a different tack in being. I think maybe a bit more interpersonal. Yes. um In its in its misery, <laughs> um, uh, you know, as you say, it's it's while, while it does keep up the kind of the, the structural oppression, um, it it focuses uh, uh, much more on the the cycles of, of individual abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it it's not as revelatory as I said about the world in general. It's not kind of as as mind opening to how interesting this world is because a lot of that gets done in the first book mm-hmm. but it, it, it adds some interesting um, elements uh, so I'd say probably overall I'd say maybe not as good um, but I still enjoyed a lot I got a lot out of it
0: I am with you I think it's not as good as the first book the first book was again no hyperbole one of the best things I've ever read uh, I thought it was insane. So there's no way this book was going to live up to it. Uh, but I think it does a stellar job. I think it expands on things really well. Uh, I could do with a little bit less kind of direct exposition. But again, that might just be me. And overall, I really enjoy the juxtaposition of the interpersonal stuff, which is very small, microscale sort of stuff, with the <laughs> massive, like, non-personal space moon stuff like there was a cool juxtaposition there one is this giant thing that's going on overarching everything uh, but we're actually going to focus on this like tiny interpersonal relationships between a very small set of characters i think that was a fun juxtaposition going on mm-hmm. this book was good enough that it's got me very intrigued uh, to finish off the series um i can't wait to see what happens in the third one i think um given Jemison. So far, I, I don't think it's going to be a straightforward sort of like uh, the various competing factions uh, face off against one another. Moon is restored. Everything's fine and rosy. I think it's going to probably be a little bit more complex than that. So I can't wait to see what she's got.
1: Mm, yeah, I think so. I mm-hmm. think so. I, I I don't see there being a neat happy ending.
0: I do not see that. I mean, I wouldn't be put a passer to just have the whole thing be destroyed uh because i mean i mean narratively that i don't know, it's almost kind of fulfilling to me because it's kind of like she presents this world that's so full of like systematic um problems and like you know abuse and there's like racism just, like, there's so much wrong with this bloody world and there comes a point where if if you know if our society were as awful you have to ask questions about like is it time to just like hit the reset on society here, like nuke the society and start again. So narratively it might make sense if she just goes, we nuke the planet, everyone's dead, that's it. Like there's no recovering from letting this abuse and this racism and this xenophobia and everything just get so out of control. We just go again. Um, I could totally see that being a thing Um, and being kind of satisfactory in a way that I think a lot of other times if you just have everyone dies, uh, an ending where everyone dies it's not that satisfactory. Mm. But I don't, I don't know what, what she's going to do. And again, I'm intrigued because of that. Same. Cool. Uh, Albus gate review. Messy review done. Question mark. Question mark. Done. Done. Um, thank you. So let's wrap it up. Thank you so much, uh, listeners, for listening. Uh, thank you for supporting the show. Uh, thank you also for buying merch. If people are still buying merch, I don't think many people are. We'll update the store and let you know about that. Next time we talk will be the pub pub quiz, the Christmas pub quiz. Get your questions in and the time we talk after that will be the next review, book review, which is going to be Dune. Sure so, thing. So get your hands on a copy of that in time for that podcast. Um, Have a great one. Until next time. Edgar House you mm-hmm.